Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Alright, so today I'm going to preach a different message to you. Uh, What are you looking for? So let's pray and then we can do that. God, we thank you so much for today and... Lord, isn't as we sing that song, what a powerful name your name is. The name of Jesus, the name above every situation and circumstance. God, today, all over this place, there are untold situations and circumstances. There are so many people whose situation is unique, but you see them all. You know them all. God, I pray that every person, Lord, that for everyone that's hearing these words right now, Father, that your truth, that your reality would just hit people today. I pray, God, that we would uh, be listening into what you want to speak to us, God. I pray that today, just like we heard before in our offering message, God, that we would trust you, that we'd put all of our hope and our trust in you. Let this be the way that we live our lives as we move forwards in Jesus' name. Amen. So confession, when I was a kid, I thought I was smarter than my parents, okay? And I remember uh, thinking that I knew lots of things that they didn't know. In fact, um, I thought that my parents, I I didn't understand the bad words that people say. I thought my parents didn't know them because they never used them. And I thought the bad words was like a modern day thing. It was like a new language. It's like, cool. I thought, I reckon I could probably say one. They wouldn't even know what it is, but I never did. But but I thought that I knew all this stuff that they didn't know. You know, as I got older, I realized that they knew a lot more than I thought. And now this bites me in the butt. And I'll tell you how. I got my kids and I took them to the park yesterday and I'm teaching my son how to ride a bike, okay? And so I'm showing him how to do it and the technique and all the rest of it. Halfway through my explanation, he cuts me off and starts telling me how to ride a bike. I said to him, I, I gave him this look And he knows that look. And he looked at me and I didn't say anything. And he said, what? And I said, you don't know how to ride a bike. He's like, "Uh uh-huh. I said, I know how to ride the bike. You don't know how to ride a bike. I know how to ride a bike. Not only do I have the theory down pat, practically I can do it. So I know how to ride the bike. You don't know to ride the bike. Don't tell me how to ride a bike. I'll tell you how to do it. You don't know how to ride it. Let me. I'm the bike rider. You're not the bike rider. You may have some ideas about how to ride a bike, but you don't know how to ride a bike. So stop telling me how to ride the bike. I'm the bike rider. I'll tell you how to ride the bike. I know how to ride a bike. So this is what I tell my son. He looks at me. We have this sort of, he says, okay. So then we got on with it, right? Here he is, the guy that doesn't know, trying to teach the person that does know how to ride the bike. And the thing is, he just doesn't get it. Now, you can take time to figure things out. You can make mistakes. Uh, You can try and fail. But do you know, I have learned something that has been a close friend of mine for many years now. 
you should just ask when you don't know how to do something. Because actually, you could just learn from other people's mistakes. So you don't need to make the same mistakes that they make. It's easier to ask. Look at the person next to you right now. Say, it's easier to ask. It's easier. Look at the other person and say, it's easier to ask. It is easier to ask than to think you know what you're doing. But hey, guess what? Guess what? You, you don't know what you don't know. So you may think you know what in fact you don't know. So sometimes I get like, Sarah will have these projects for me. From Ikea. And she says, do you want the manual? And I'm like, I'm a man. We don't do manuals. So I start working at this thing, and then I'll hit a snag. Now, here's what happens. This is my first thought. <laughs> I go, those idiots. <clears throat> they don't know what they put in the box. They have made a mistake. That is my first thought. And then I realize I might be the idiot. So then I say, you still got that manual? She's like, it's right here. Thought you'd ask for this. So then an hour and a half into that project, I get the manual and I, and I build the thing. Do you know that honestly, I build it. And even after that, I'm looking at a couple screws going, I don't know where you went. <laughs> like, there's no room for you. Like, I don't know how you fit into this thing, right? But I start to use the manual, right? Now, let me, let me say this to you, right? Finding a marriage partner is so much more complicated than an Ikea manual. It really is. So why would we think that we can just go ahead and do it without any idea about consulting the manual? Now, what's the manual? Well, it's pretty easy, right? The manual is the Bible. The Bible. And, and this thing right here, this book, in this, this is the manual. Some of you just heard that and, and you just thought, oh my gosh, that's so good. Where is the part that I follow? Where's the instructions? Let me explain to you how this works best. It actually works best when you understand the scope of the Bible and then you know how to practically apply it. Because if I take you to just a few passages that relate directly to marriage, you might read it and not necessarily understand it. So when we want to read God's Word, the, the manual, it's, it, it helps to try to understand more. I'm going to try to unpack some of that understanding, some of that more for you guys today. So I told you that there was a wedding at the beginning of the Bible and there was a wedding at the end of the Bible. The wedding at the beginning of the Bible comes out of Genesis. And this is the passage of Scripture, Genesis chapter 2. It says, Then the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. Isn't it interesting how he said that everything was good, except this is the only thing that is not good. He says, I will make a helper fit for him. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now, I explained this a couple of weeks ago, but for the benefit of those that maybe weren't here to hear this, that last passage that we just read, the uh, italic part where uh, Adam says, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, that is actually part of a wedding ceremony. 
If you open your Bible and you look at it in Genesis chapter 2, you're going to find something really interesting about that passage. It's that it's indented into the page. It's, there's something different about this, the way that he's saying it. Now, it's a marriage ceremony. This is the first wedding that ever took place. And I think it's a beautiful picture of how the wedding is supposed to take place because you see, you got God who brought the woman to man. He's presiding over the whole thing. He's watching it. There's a ceremony that takes place. And if you think, like I said a couple of weeks ago, that I'm taking liberty with the scriptures about whether this is really a marriage ceremony or not, look at the very next verse because something interesting happens. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now understand with me for a minute, there is no other father or mother. Yeah? So this is a really interesting passage when it talks about there's no other parents. I mean, you just got Adam and you just got Eve and God is the parent of both of them. So it's a really interesting passage. And what we're seeing there is a marriage ceremony. And that is the way that the thing is supposed to take place. Now, I want you to do something for a second this morning, which is to forget what you think you know, because you have grown up in a culture that has taught you. Some of you may have thought outside of this, but for many of us has grown up and taught us what marriage is supposed to look like, how it's supposed to work. I mean, most of the time people get their information off the television and the internet and we know how trustworthy and reliable that can be. So actually just forget what you think you might know for just a minute because you may be looking at marriage completely wrong. You may end up looking for the wrong thing instead of looking for the right thing. Adam knew what to look for. Like the only other human, right? Like, well, he, <laughs> Like he wasn't spoiled for choice, was he? he? He's like, are you human? Yeah. This is going to work. I've been looking around. Inadequate, inadequate. Oh, woman. Awesome. But now, if you're single, you have so many choices. More choices than at least Adam had. Here's what's really crazy. If you're divorced, you have all the same choices. I think internally people have a little criteria that's in their heart about what they're looking for in a marriage partner. If you're married, genuinely, statistically, people have a little criteria in their heart of whether they're going to stay in this marriage and commit to it. People have criteria in their heart. Let me give you a little example about how this criteria might be different. A teenage daughter comes home and she says, Dad, I have good news. He's like, this doesn't sound good already. She says, I'm dating a boy. And she says, that's good news. The dad says, that's not good news. Like, that's, there's nothing about what you just said that's really good news. She says, Dad, he's really cute. He says, this does not sound like good news. Dad, he's the coolest kid in school. Oh my gosh, this is not good news. This is not good news. Dad, this boy has his own car. He's like, this is, this is, this is horrible. This is horrible news, right? Now on one hand, you got uh, the daughter who's saying, this is wonderful news. On the other hand, you got the father. He says, this is terrible news, right? Now, why does one look at it one way and one looks at it the other? They've got different criteria. 
The teenage daughter is looking for something very different than her father is looking for. So I thought what we should do is rather than try to tell dad how to ride the bike, why don't we just go to God and ask him about his criteria? And if we learn what he says that we should be looking for, then we might approach this thing a little bit smarter. Are you with me this morning? All right, all right. So here's the other thing about this. Now, I'm gonna say a whole heap of things about what were you looking for? Now, or what are you looking for? Now, if you're single today, you're going to hear this and think forward and think what you were or what you presently, present tense, are looking for. If you're married, on the other hand, you're going to hear the same information and you're going to think, maybe that's what I was looking for when I got married. But regardless, I think when you hear what I'm going to talk about, it's going to apply directly to both and there's plenty of room to begin to have some course correction right here. You with me? All right, so what's at the top of your internal criteria? What's at the top of your list? Is it, were you looking for physical beauty? That's, that's right up there, number one. Is that what you're looking for? Because I have something that is anything but shocking to tell you about physical beauty. It sags, it gets wrinkles, now, if you like that, awesome. But if you're in love with present day body, it's going to get gray hair. You, you know that, right? Like something is going to happen. It's going to change. The body's going to change. Now, I, I've realized that many of you would be aware of this, but do you know how many people go into a, a, a marriage being completely physically attracted to the person, unaware of the fact that that body may change. Sag, wrinkles, all the rest of it. It's going to happen. Listen, beauty fades. Beauty fades. You know what I loved so much last week? I love, and I've, oh, this just came to me right now. I feel like I'm going to, somehow this could get taken wrong, but it shouldn't. This is Activate Church. Let's go. Um, you know what I loved? I love that Lynn Broom said that Anne is more beautiful today than she was when they got married. You know what? There, there's, something, there's something precious in that moment because that's when you're able to look at true beauty. Because beauty, it shifts. It changes. If you're looking for someone that never changes physically, it's impossible. I mean, at the same time, if you're looking for someone that never changes equally with their personality, that's going to change too. I mean, you're going to wake up in the future and look at this person and say, you're not the one that I married. No, they're not, because there are experiences and all kinds of things that shift and change. If you're in love with the moment, that moment is going to change. That person is going to change. In fact, Duke University ethics professor Stanley Huris, he said this when he looked at marriage. He said, marriage means we are not the same person after we have entered it. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger you find yourself married to. Because in truth, one day you're going to wake up and that person is going to have changed. That person is going to be different. So, were you looking for physical beauty? It fades. All right, number two, were you looking for security? I just want to feel secure. I always say, whatever you got here, 
you can lose here. If you got it on planet Earth, you can lose it while you're still on planet Earth. Whatever, I mean, listen, whatever you have, it can be taken from you. If you have an emotionally dependent relationship and something horrible should happen, like what would happen to you if you were a financially dependent on another person? Oh boy, finances change. Things that you never expect come up. Medical bills that you never saw coming that put pressure and strain on the family. Kids come along. That puts financial pressure on the family. I mean, honestly, if your whole thing about this was, I think we're going to be okay because they're really rich and I'm, I'm marrying this person and they're okay. So where I think our relationship is going to be okay. Guess what? The cars can be repossessed. The house can be taken. You may have to downsize your house. You may have to sell off one of your cars. You may have to make a whole heap of financial decisions you never saw coming. And if you never thought about this at that moment, if you've never thought about this and suddenly it pops up, what will you be left with? What will be the center of that relationship? If you're going to secure yourself to anything, you should secure yourself to something that's out of this world. If I think about something that's going to secure me, it's going to anchor me to a point, yeah? So if I'm going to be anchored to a point, who's my anchor in life? Well, I call him Jesus. He's my anchor. He's your anchor. And if He has anchored you to a fixed point where all of your hope and your peace and your joy and your security is found in Him, then whatever could be taken from you while you're on planet Earth, while it's taken, you're still going to be okay. You're still going to be intact. You've got you to understand if, 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 if your hope is stolen from you and it was in money, you're going to end up in a bad position. I, I used to have this friend of mine his name was David. David used to, uh, in, in primary school, he used to collect basketball cards. And he used to say to me, see this card? I said, yep. He said, this card's worth $300. And when he would say that, I remember thinking, that's dumb. Because who would pay $300 for a basketball card? And I would say to him, I don't think it's worth $300. He said, oh, yes, it is. Uh, he'd get me his folder. He had all his basketball cards, NBA cards in there. He'd open it up and start flicking through. It says, this whole folder's worth like $1,200. I'm like, I, I don't think it's worth $1,200. And I tried to explain this point to David at the time. I'm like, something's only worth anything if somebody's prepared to pay that for it. Yeah, you get me? So when you're trying to find the value of something, you have to find what someone's willing to pay for it. When it comes to the gospel, when you were at your most undesirable, when you were uh, without a relationship with God and there was nothing about you that particularly impressed Him, it was at that moment that He sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins. So when you're ascribing value to yourself, maybe your hope, maybe your anchor should be in what Jesus did for you on the cross instead of trying to find something around you on this physical realm that's going to start to add value into your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because if you get that, no one's ever taken Jesus away from you. If you get that, no one can take that, 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 that value, that sense of value that you have with Him. Were you looking for security? It can be taken. Were you looking for happiness? 
All right, well, that one's pretty fair, actually. If you're looking for happiness, okay, fair enough. But here's my question. Do you have a happiness deficiency that you need someone else in your life so that you can feel happy? I think it's okay to be happy, but if you have a happiness deficiency and you're relying completely on another person to fill that space in your life, I'm not so sure that that's a good idea. You know, I've met some people like this. It's like they have boyfriend after boyfriend after boyfriend after girlfriend after girlfriend. I'm like, gosh, this is like a team sport. Do you just bench some people? And when they're fouled out, you're just like, you're in? Like, how do you do this? It's like, so immediately, you, you, you just like, you say, sub, you're in, get out. Like, how do you have, and why is it so necessary to keep having these people fill your life? I'm okay with being happy, but if you've got a happiness deficiency, I don't think subbing in the new guy is the way to do it. You know, seriously, sometimes I get so hungry at work. I'm working away on my laptop, and, and it's like, I just get into the zone. Like, I get right into the zone. Don't, if you call me on the phone while I'm in the zone, you'll know, because I'm like, What? I'm busy. So I'm in the zone and I'm, I'm, I'm working. I look up and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's 2.30. I miss lunch. You know what comes to my mind? You know what I think about? I think, uh, KFC's got drive through and I don't have a lot of time. Well, maybe I should just go and get KFC. And then I hear the voice of reason, which amazingly sounds like Russell Kahn. <laughs> He says, don't put that filth in your body. I'm like, okay, Russell. <laughs> don't be so starved that you'll be willing to eat anything. Don't be so starved with your happiness deficiency that you'll date anything with two legs because you're just interested in making yourself feel better. Because if you start to live like that and your whole goal is I need to be happy, I need to be happy, Man, I, I think you're headed for a, a, a breakdown eventually. You know, when you get Jesus and have Him as your security, what happens is it puts an internal happiness inside of you that's unmatched, it's unrivaled. You know, if I want to be a generous person, I've got to have money in the bank to give away. So how's your account going? Because you're not going to have much to give away if you live in deficit all of the time and you're trying to make it up with all these quick fixes that really are never a long-term solution. Were you looking for happiness? Okay, fine, but make sure you got, you're in the right space before you enter into a relationship. Were you looking for a soulmate? What does that even mean? A soulmate. You know, the one? The one? I don't know what that means. Like, the one. It's like, the, thank you, Twilight. Thank you, Jerry Maguire and all these other movies that have taught people that there's just like one person that's out there for you. And you've just got to sort of locate them. They're not GPS tracks, so it's going to be real hard. I started to think about what would the one be? What would the one look like? And then I found a picture of him. Next one, guys. Oh no, that's not the slide. Well, this is what it would have looked like. It was going to be, and it should have been, a picture of Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> smiling, looking at you, because 
I'm telling you right now, this is what happens. People picture the one and they've got the image out there like this unattainable person that they cannot reach or, 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 or get to. And I'm saying to you, guys, it's not a lottery. It's not like God's gambling with your life and saying, go on, try to get happy. Try to find the one. You are seriously going to be miserable for most of your life. This is so hard for you. I put them in the deep jungles of Africa. You're never going to find them. Listen, there's 7 billion people on the planet. There's probably millions that are compatible with you. If you're looking for the one, you could be dating them and still going, ah, I don't know if you're really the one. Is the one still out there? It puts you in two minds. It's the one still out there. I mean, don't get me wrong. You, this is good, and you're doing really good right now, but is the one still out there? There's no one. There's multiple ones. There's literally millions of them. You need to find someone that you can love. You need to find someone that you can serve. I mean, when you have your little internal criteria, even though people live with the mentality of the one, isn't your criteria that you want to have fun? I want to have fun. Fun. If you were here last week, we saw a video. Everyone wants to have fun in their relationship. A lot of people are looking for fun. A lot of people are looking for a, a relationship that's stimulating. They want someone that's sexually attractive. They want someone that's supportive of their goals and affirming of their life. And I, I, I mean, this is the criteria that you've got in your heart. Literally, there's, there's millions of people that you could find all over the planet that would be or could be the one. You know, I, sometimes I watch movies and I think that this whole movie, the way that this has influenced our culture is, is, is insane. I was watching a movie recently and, 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 and there was a, some women having a conversation and they said something like this, I just want a real man. And I'm like, what's that? <laughs> like, that sounds subjective. What is a real man? Do they have abs? I, I don't know, because a lot of us are in trouble if that's true. You know, like, what is a real man? What do they look like? Like, what do they do? do they, are they rich? They're probably rich. I, I don't know. Like, what is a real man? People are trying to figure this out. Do you know, it's really funny how we have all these different ideas about what a real man is. You know, when I was growing up in high school, as we watched TV and influenced by that, do you know what the real man was made out to be to me as a, as a young person growing up? It's the guy that can date the most women and the most attractive women. That's the man. He's the guy. That's the, the, so, so women are saying, we want a real man. The guys are saying, we think we know what it is. And they're wrong. And they're totally different. Do you know what the measure of a man was in history? It was self-mastery. The measure of a man wasn't about how many people of the opposite sex you could date. The measure of a man was how you could control yourself. It was how you would control your eating. If you wanted to be a real man, it's like, how do you control what you do with your life? When it came to sexual desires, it was how controlled you were about them. But now we have shifted so far from that, that sexual desires and the exploitation of that has actually in some crazy way, in some places become the measure of a man and that's not what a man is at all i think we need to get back to what this this whole thing in history about having sexual restraint can we get back to that that should be the measure and all these things physical beauty security happiness a soulmate who's a real woman or a real man if you look wrong you're going to get wrong do you understand what i'm saying if you're looking 
and you don't have the right criteria, you're going to get something wrong. And guess what? Once that happens, it's permanent. Sarah and I, we, we met at a nightclub. And I would not suggest that to anyone, but that's our story because I had just started going to church and she wasn't even going to church. There is so much that's wrong about what I just told you, but thank God that he worked it out. We would have been headed. I mean, I'm starting to go this direction. She didn't even want to come to church. She wasn't interested. Boy, imagine if we could have told her what she'd be doing now. Like, I just want to go back in time for a joke, you know? So I would enjoy that. Hey, guess what you do when you're older? Pastor. You know, she didn't want to come. In fact, uh, in fact, <laughs> she said, I'll come, but I'm not dressing up for those people. I said, well, what are you going to do about it? She said, tracky pants. And she did, defiantly. No one cared. She's in her own world over there. Anyway, anyway. Do you know what my criteria was when I met her? Here's my criteria. Are you willing to date me? Because if you're willing, I will, I will see you again if you're willing to date me. I, I mean, I'm, let's do this, right? We should have some better questions, shouldn't we? Than are you willing to date me? How about this? When you start to think about it, don't you want to know, hey, tell me more about your family of origin. Like, where does your family grow up? Are, are, are your parents together or are they divorced? Do you have brothers or sisters? What do you think about finances? Do you have a job? Uh, are you thinking about getting a job? What are your plans for a job in the future? You know, are you saving for anything? Do you know how to save? Have you ever used a budget? Do you know what a budget is supposed to work like? You know, how about, you know, you know after this, what happens? happens next for you? What about your relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with God? Do you really? I don't flirt to convert, sweetheart. So this better be real. Because, um, because if you're trying to trick me into dating you by pretending to be a Christian, I'm going to figure you out because I know how this whole thing works. Do you have a real relationship with Jesus? You do? Show me your Bible reading plan. What's the devotions like? Quote your favorite psalm. What's your favorite psalm? You know what? Just come up with a verse, anything that you've got. What do you think about sex? Before marriage? After marriage? How are we supposed to do this? What are your ideas about it? And I think if we ask just a few more questions before we start, dating, we might find ourselves in the position to have a good start and have a great relationship. You've got to start to ask some questions. Figure this out. Because don't you want to have a God-honoring relationship? Don't we want to do it the way that God wants to do it? All right, some of you don't because you're quiet, but Vin does, and I appreciate that support. <laughs> so this, I'm, I just thought what I would do is I would read to you everything the Bible has to say about dating. So, it says nothing about dating because they didn't do it. Do you know what they did? They arranged marriages. I'm a father. I'm like, bring it back. I love this. In fact, some of you parents out here, you don't even know. I'm eyeing off your children. I'm looking at your kids saying, I could be related to them. I would let you... Your son should marry my daughter. Jace, we're still working on it, but we'll get there, man. See, this is the thing. It doesn't say anything about dating. So let me ask you, answer a couple of questions that might be here today. Can you date a non-Christian? 
Yeah. Because there's actually no rules. Should you do that? Well, I don't know. Don't, don't you think it's going to be weird when that non-Christian discovers that they're second to Jesus? Isn't that going to be awkward for them? When they find out that the love of your life is actually Jesus and they are running in second place, don't you think that they're going to get jealous? And if you start dating that person and you're in that relationship with that person and suddenly there's a switch and, uh, and now they're first and Jesus is coming second and what are you doing? Well, you know, you're, being, you're going out for breakfast on Sunday morning, you're dropping church, you're dropping small group, you, 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 you dropped out of your service teams because actually you found yourself in a relationship that you feel guilty about because you know that they're pulling you away from God. I mean, wh- I mean, what are your options here really? They either come second or you can bring them to Him or they're going to take you away. I don't know. Can you do it? Yeah. There's no, there's no rules. There's no laws. I just don't know how it's going to work out for you. And my encouragement would be don't marry anyone that doesn't make a commitment to Jesus. Because it's going to make life really hard. And do you know how many couples I've counseled and spoken to where one loves Jesus and the other doesn't? And they are trying to raise these kids in a certain way. They're trying to do certain things with their finances and it just makes it challenging and it makes it tough. If you find yourself there, you know what? Pray, pray, pray for your spouse that they have an encounter, a relationship with Jesus. Don't, don't stay with someone who won't actually decide to marry you. You know, like some of these guys that uh, they've just been engaged for like 10 years. Why aren't they making a commitment? What's the big fear? What are they afraid of? Are they just, is it that they don't want the permanency of marriage? Don't marry someone that doesn't want to permanently commit to you. You know, the Apostle Paul, in all of this, I haven't even spoken about love, but here's what the Apostle Paul says about love. He says, husbands ought to love their wives. I thought that sounds nice, but how can you convince somebody to love someone? Is, like, how can you tell somebody they should feel a certain way? It's like I tell my son, you should love maths. He's like, dad, I'm trying. It's just, it's not happening, okay? You can't make me love something I don't want to love. Unless love isn't an emotion. Unless love is more than a feeling. Unless love is something that's more significant than that. Maybe what we need to do is actually take a good look at love and learn about how we should love someone. You should marry someone that loves you and doesn't love the romance. Because newsflash, if they love the romance, that's going to fade. Because when it's uh, paying bills and changing nappies and doing dishes and budgeting, there's nothing romantic about any of that. I promise you. That's not romantic. So whoever you marry, they better be in love with you and not the romantic feelings that are attached to you when they're around you, or that's going to fade and disappear. And then what will you do? You know, if you love someone, you will do stuff. There's, there's attached behaviors to that. You know, if your spouse says to you, sweetheart, would you make me a cup of tea? I know you don't want to get off the couch. Do it anyway. Why? Because you love them. And love is sacrificial. Maybe we just got to learn how to love. Because one day, if you decide to get married, and in fact, you, if you have done this, 
Your vows aren't about loving who's in front of you. Your vows are for future love. I mean, the fact that you're there getting married, that's a given. Surely you love them on the day, but that's not what vows are for. You're not saying I love you today. You're saying I'll love you forever. I'm going to love you as long as I am alive. You covenant with them to never leave them or till death do us part. So together forever. Are you together forever? No, you're not. There is a way out. Death. Don't get any ideas. Death is the way out of getting married. Are you together forever? No, you're not. You're just together until you die. And actually, because when you go to heaven, there's, there's no marriage in heaven. Jesus talks about that. So don't look for someone that meets your present needs. You know why? Because your needs change, you change, and they change. And if you try to base the foundation of your relationship on something that's going to shift and change, you're going to wake up in 10 years married to a stranger that you don't know. And you're going to say, how did we get here? I, I, I'm not sure this is really working out for me. So, so what should you look for? I had so much trouble making this decision. I said to God, God, I want to know if Sarah's the right one for me. So here's, here's what I'm going to say to you. I need uh, five people in the course of this week to tell me that I should marry my wife, Aunt Sarah. And, and, and if they say that to me, then I will marry her and I'll know that this is what you want. I, guess I was just backwards and forwards over this thing because it's a big deal. So anyway, I prayed that prayer. And in one day, seven people said, when are you going to marry Sarah? I said, all right, I get it. So I married her. And I wish that it would be so simple for everyone else in this room, if you're making that decision or if you had to make that decision and you agonized over it, wouldn't it be easier if God did that for everyone? He doesn't always do that. You know what I discovered? I could just read the Bible and I could discover what God really wants me to do once I'm married for the rest of my life. And that should indicate to me if they're the right person for me. First slide. Ephesians chapter 5, 22 to 24 says this. You ready, wives? Single women? Because this is what happens after you get married. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. There you go. That's wives. That's what you need to be able to do after you get married. Next slide. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. If you're a woman and you want to get married, you need to look for someone that you can submit to. You need to look for someone that you can do that with. And if you were to just use that as your grid, this is a person that I can completely trust. This is a person that has my best interest. This is a person that's always going to care for me. This is a person that loves Jesus. If, you, if that was your grid, you need to find someone you can do that for. Husbands, you need to find someone that you can lay your life down for every single day. Because when you look at what women need to do, it seems like a big deal until you realize that He said to husbands, you need to die every day 
to the things that are really important to you and hold on to your wife and love her. If you're looking at who's making the biggest sacrifice, I don't know, die to yourself, submit to your husband. To me, it's mutual. It works both. And instead of approaching this thing and saying, oh, I expect this from you. I expect you to make me happy. I expect you to be my security. I expect you to do all, you're, you're responsible for, for my welfare and my well-being in life. If instead of that, you were able to approach the marriage saying, I will do anything for you. And then in reverse, they say, I will do anything for you. And you can both love Jesus. You have that genuine relationship with Jesus and that's your foundation. That's the third chord that's not easily broken. Man, that's something that's gonna last. That's something that's gonna be strong. You know, Proverbs 31, it talks about like the most amazing woman you've ever heard about. Some of you just realized this for the first time. There's a whole bunch of guys after church going, really, let me check this. All right. This is what, it kind of finishes like this. Find a chick who loves Jesus. That's what it says. This, they say it better. They say, find a woman who fears God, who holds Him in holy awe and reverence over her life and says, I love Him so much that everything I do from this moment is going to be expression of how I feel about Him and it's going to be directed at you. You find a woman that can do that. You find a man who does the exact same thing Man, you got something there. You got something worth marrying, somebody worth marrying. Can we stand to our feet this morning? We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.